Hello and welcome to the School of Attraction podcast. I'm Damien Deeker and I'll be talking with you about a range of topics from dating, attraction, masculinity, sexuality, life philosophy, and much, much more. So without any further ado, let's get started. I hope you enjoy listening to today's podcast just as much as I've enjoyed creating it. If I had a dollar for every time someone jumped onto one of my videos and said, Damien, you're clearly wrong. You're ignoring the facts. How can you ignore the facts? The science is out there. Look at this research, right? Correct yourself. Get a brain and move on, man. If I had a dollar for every time someone said that, I would be eating out a couple of times a week for free. The truth of the matter is that a large amount of truth, a large amount of the scientific evidence, and a large amount of the information that's being peddled around the world right now is either based on really, really badly put together scientific research, or it's based on really a really poor interpretation of the research that does exist. Add to that the fact that humans are crazy complicated, let alone human sexual behavior, which is like some of the most complicated in the whole of the animal kingdom. And you've got to sit there and ask yourself, right, Damien, what do we do then? Like, how do we know the difference between great information, facts, and poor, untrustworthy facts. What do we do and how do we see the difference between the two so we can actually learn from some of the research that's being done? Keep watching to find out. The first thing that we need to understand is just how complex and difficult to interpret statistical data can actually be. Imagine that I come up with a theory one day. I wake up and I say, you know what? I really, really believe that ice cream makes women take their clothes off. Like seriously, like I, 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 I swear to God, this is exactly, women are wired to take off their clothes after they ate ice cream. And I think to myself, how can I prove that? Because no one believes me, everyone thinks I'm an idiot. Everyone thinks I'm crazy for having this theory. All right, I'm gonna do some research. I'm gonna start following women around. And what I'm gonna do is after they eat ice cream, I'm gonna look at, what they, uh, look at and record what they're wearing 15 minutes after they eat ice cream. And I'm also going to look at and record what women around the world are wearing 15 minutes after they eat something that isn't ice cream. And I'm going to compare results and have a look and see what impact ice cream has on women wearing less clothing. So I go ahead and I do this experiment. I'm a total creep and follow women around the world. And what do I discover? Holy crap! There is a direct inverse-like relationship between the amount of ice cream eaten by a woman and the, the amount of clothing she's wearing. In other words, the more clothing a woman's wearing, but <laughs> yeah, the, the, the more ice cream a woman eats, 15 minutes later, the less clothing she's, she's likely to be wearing. In fact, if a woman eats ice cream, she is eight times likely, more likely to be wearing a bikini 15 minutes later than if she eats something that isn't ice cream. Holy moly. From now on, it's the Damien method. When you go out on dates, make her eat ice cream because odds are she'll be wearing a bikini in 15 minutes. Okay, so obviously there's something going on here, right? I'm sure that many of you have smelled a rat and you realize there's something more to this story. So what's going on? Well, actually, as it turns out, as temperature rises, women are more likely to wear less clothing and they're more likely to, to eat more ice cream, right? So when it's hot and sunny outside, women are both more likely to eat more ice cream and more likely to be wearing a bikini. This is known as a confounding factor because bikinis and, and ice cream eaten are not actually related in, in what's called causally related. They're not related to each other. But actually what they are is they're related by a third factor known as a confounding factor. So yes, don't be making women eat ice cream when they go on dates. 
This issue is actually quite a big one in the world of statistics, and it's born a phrase that says correlation does not equal causation. So just because two things seem to correlate together doesn't mean that one causes the other. Now, the internet is actually bound with some really funny correlation versus causation examples. For example, have a look at this graph that the per capita cheese consumption versus the number of people who died by becoming tangled in their bedsheets. <laughs> look at that, they're related somehow. It's just, it's just correlation, not causation. How about this one that shows that the number of people who drowned by falling into a pool versus the films that Nicolas Cage appeared in appear to be related closely. Now, when we look at correlations like this, it is, it is easy for our brains to say, hey, 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 <laughs> this is obviously these two things aren't likely to be related. Ha ha ha, this is very funny. But this becomes a lot more complicated when it comes to statistics that aren't immediately obviously not necessarily related or causally connected to each other. One of the biggest problems here is the way that our brains work because our brains are pattern recognition machines and they, they come with a whole bunch of built-in biases which make us not very good at, at innately interpreting, correctly interpreting data and statistics. In fact, we're, we're incredibly bad at it and even well-trained professionals struggle a lot. Uh, and that's one of the big reasons why research often needs to be peer-reviewed because it's just so subject to human bias, like unintentional bias, right? Not like um, um, conspiracy theory level bias, just, just honest to goodness, like genuine bias. So some of these biases, for example, that we need to look out for, the first one you've probably heard before, it's called confirmation bias. And so confirmation bias is the tendency to interpret things in a way that supports beliefs we already hold. So if you're already walking around the world and you're thinking, you know, I think that women uh, in general just want to get the better of men. I think women are, are out to, to steal from men and take what they can. That's the way women are wired. If that's your belief system, you're going to, not only you're going to kind of ignore or see faults in any experiments that, that disagree with that, you're likely to, to take any experiment that is somehow a little bit related to that fact and you're going to suddenly pull out meaningful data, what you believe is meaningful data, even though the data isn't that great, right? So you've got this really strong bias to find confirming evidence for things you already believe. The second bias that is really common when it comes to looking at statistics is something that's called the availability heuristic. Now, a heuristic, by the way, is a rule of thumb. It's, it's, it's a shortcut in our brains that we have. Now, the available, uh, availability heuristic is a tendency to give recent or highly emotional events in our lives a high priority in when, we, when we're assessing whether something is true or valid. So, if you have been recently in a relationship or a marriage where a woman left you for a more attractive guy, that creates uh, this availability heuristic. So every time you read something or see something that talks about attractive men or less attractive men, bam, your brain pays super sharp attention. But even more than that, because you've got that availability heuristic in mind, you, you, it's, it's, so, it's such a recent or strong emotional memory, it makes you far more likely to believe research that proves that it wasn't your fault, right? Or that proves that it's women who are bad and not men and all this kind of stuff is a result of that availability heuristic that you have in your head. The third very common bias is what's known as the availability cascade, which is a self-reinforcing process whereby if you repeatedly hear the same message over and over again, you take it to be absolute truth without any real evidence. Now this is particularly pernicious and common nowadays because it's very easy with things like Facebook and, and, and forums and whatnot that we can surround ourselves with in-groups. 
So, for example, if you are strongly left-wing liberal, if you're right-wing conservative, um, if you are a part of a feminist group, if you're part of a men going their own way group, if you're part of a men's rights or a red pill movement, what happens is that you get flooded with these messages over and over and over and over because you just surround yourself with these messages that pop up in your Facebook feeds and things like that. That what happens is over time you just go, well, that's, that's absolutely true. Your brain stops questioning any data that's thrown at you that supports that basic message. And that's not about being stupid or it's not about being foolish. It's the way that we're wired. And it's one of the reasons why I tend to be a little wary of being too close to a lot of these groups because I feel often lies seep in, right? And, and false information. Now, these aren't the only biases out there. There are a whole ton of them. If you want to see them all, go ahead and check this wiki page of, of like known human biases if you're interested in what I've been talking about here. But so, like, how does this play out in real life? Well, let me start with an example that most of my viewers, because I know what my viewers generally like, are going to agree with. Let's take feminists. And feminists found a statistic that says that for every 75 cents a woman earns, for every dollar a man earns, a woman earns only 75 cents. And now this is very real data. It's, this is not fake falsified data. This is very correct. This is real. This is not wrong. And they look at that and they say, holy crap, look at that. Look how much women are still second rate citizens, right? So they've got this, this, this heuristic in their head. They've got these biases at play. It's confirming what they already believe. It's confirming the message that they've been consistently been receiving that women are second rate citizens. So they don't question it. And they say, wow, look at that. Everyone, pay attention. Women need to be paid more money. There's a conspiracy paying against men. But what we actually need to do is we, we most of you probably realize that we need to look at that data. We need to say, are there confounding factors? Is, is, there, is it necessarily true that women earn less just because they're women? Or are there other confounding factors that's confusing the data? As it turns out, there is. As it turns out, a lot of that is actually a baby tax or a large part of it's a baby tax. So that means that women, when they have children, take time off work. And when they take time off work, they start to slowly fall behind in the career progression. And more than that, when, once they have children, they work fewer hours and they work many fewer unpaid hours. So unpaid extra work that men do that get men the raises and get men the higher positions. So if you take the baby uh, tax out, so to speak, you take that out, all of a sudden, the gap narrows dramatically, narrows to something like uh, a 7% gap. And then there are a few other factors which have nothing to do with gender specifically, um, you know, a bias like an evil consortium of, of male bosses who want to pay women less. It starts to iron it out. In fact, there's almost no tax for just being a woman that you pay. If you want to work the same hours and do the same work and, and do the same degrees as men, then you will get the same amount of money. But women don't see that. You see, there are confounding factors that, that often feminists don't acknowledge. Now, some do, I have to be fair. Like, I know many feminists who do, but the, the, the core feminist group doesn't. Now, that's very easy. That's an easy example for most of my viewers to, to agree with because you probably already hold that viewpoint. It's probably part of your availability heuristic as it is. But what if I pick something else? What if I pick something that's probably dearer to some of your hearts? What if I suggest the, the truth that women seek men with more money. Women are generally at core gold diggers. So if we take that belief and then, and then you say, well, look, clearly science shows over the last 50 years, women are consistently marrying men of greater financial means. Women try to marry upwards in financial mobility. That's what women do. It's the science. Science, bitch. Uh, but you, to be fair, what you have to do is, I agree, that's the statistics show that, but you have to ask, are there any confounding factors? So is there something else that's creating a correlation that's not necessarily a causation? And 
as it turns out, there are a couple that I can think of. So the first one would be this. Think about the fact that what personality traits, a man who's wealthy, who's got a successful business, what personality traits is he likely to have? Well, he's likely to be intelligent. He's likely to be driven. He's likely to be safe and secure. He's likely to be um, emotionally stable, right? So he's likely to have a lot of these personality traits that, that women are going to find attractive. So if I ask the question another way around, if you find a random man on the street who is dr highly driven, highly intelligent, um, st emotionally stable, knows how to take charge and lead people, if you take a man and he's got those qualities, what do you think, how much more likely is he to become wealthy and successful one day, right? These are the traits. So that's a confounding factor because is it the personality traits that tends to make you rich or is it the money? Well, that isn't properly borne out in the statistics that men like to quote. There's another confounding factor which is has been tested and I have talked about in previous videos and that's this. Women haven't earned as much as men. In fact, they've never been able to earn as much as men until very recently. And if you have a look at the data over the last 50 years, as women, the more women get degrees, get university degrees, the lower the upward mobility that women ex exercise in real life. So if you look at countries where women have just as many or more university degrees than men, more in sort of northern European countries, you notice that that the um, hypergamous behavior of trying to date upwards financially is reducing to almost zero. Isn't that curious? So we actually see that coming. And you can see if you look at countries where women earn drastically less than men, that the upward mobility dating is still very strong and alive. So, right, there are always confounding factors and you need to always be asking yourself what those could be before you just trust something at face value. Now, especially in the world of attraction, this becomes super critical because there is actually, there is a paucity of good quality research on dating, uh, dating habits and attraction habits. I mean, there are some really fantastic researchers actually here in, in, in Sydney University that, that happened. I think it's New South Wales University. They're really fantastic in their research, but it's a relatively unresearched area. And when I say that, I mean, there are lots of individual studies, but there's very little studies that are done and then peer reviewed and, and, and mimic studies done to back up that research. And Humans are notoriously complex creatures, as I mentioned before, especially our sexual behavior. So whenever you see information or data that comes out, the first thing you need to ask, there's a couple of things you should always ask yourself. The first thing is, how badly do I need this to be true? How badly do I want this to be true, right? If this thing that I just read said the exact opposite, would I feel annoyed or like aggravated at all, right? How badly do I want it to be true? The second thing you need to ask is how how good how qual how good is the quality of this research so a really great example of this is a, 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 pro a tinder profile that was doing the rounds a while ago of a, a really attractive man and in the profile it said that he had been accused multiple times of being a child rapist and he generally liked children but he thought he'd try to date adults and see how he went and apparently this guy got like thousands of like hundreds of matches and every woman wanted to shag him and the, the message was see women only care about attractiveness they don't care if you're if, if you're a child molester and people look at that and because it confirms something that they already believe and they really want to believe that, right, they don't question the data. So when I look at that, and I actually made a video of this uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, it didn't make sense. This isn't, this isn't even matching to the scientific research that exists on the topic, which suggests that a very, very small percentage of women have a aphelia, have, a, have a, a sexual attraction to very, very bad men. Right? It's a very small percentage. Some do. And, you know, you see that with prisoners, your Ted Bundys and stuff like that, but way smaller than that Tinder experiment was suggesting. So I said, well, 
you know, the best way to, 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 to test something is to verify it myself. And I created a Tinder profile just like that one. And lo and behold, I couldn't get any matches. So you need to be aware of that, that just because something confirms a belief you need to have, look at the veracity of the study before you just go, oh my God, women are monsters. Just because you want to believe that, don't trust the study if it's if it's really poor, um, a really unreliable source that hasn't been verified elsewhere before. And of course, the last thing you need to ask yourself is, could there be any confounding factors? I, I do this whenever I see scientific research or a statistical study, I I'm looking at it and I'm trying to pull it apart. What, could there be confounding factors? Because very often researchers don't know about a thing as much as you do if it's a thing that's close to your heart. So what do I mean by that? Researchers studying human attraction haven't necessarily been going out, talking to 100 women and getting rejected 100 times, right? So they haven't necessarily been stuck in that. So they don't see the nuance that you may personally see. And that allows you to, to identify, could there be confounding factors that haven't been controlled for in this experiment? It's a question that is very valuable to ask. The cold hard truth when it comes to human attraction uh, is that it is really, really, really hard to, to, to tear apart. And the best researchers all agree that the research is fuzzy at best. And the reason it's fuzzy is actually, it's because it appears as though not just humans, but primates in general are quite flexible in their dating and mating strategies. And humans appear to be by far the most flexible of all. So what that means is that depending on the environment in which you grow up and evolve and, and, and go through puberty, that starts to set the way, the, the, the things that turn you on, the traits in a partner that you look for, the, 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 the mating rituals that you go through. These seem to, to vary wildly from society to society. Now, we all tend to live in a very, uh, most of us live in a, a, in a society that follows the same basic um, Judeo-Christian Muslim viewpoints about men and women. And we need to be aware of that. But when you look at societies like human like tribes throughout history, there are, there are radically different mating strategies and attraction strategies and things that we think are attractive. You know, from, from Rubenesque, like slightly chubby women to the women with the long necks, right? Where they put the rings around their neck in Africa to women who cover themselves in piercing to like the head binding uh, that you saw in, I think, in South America. I mean, what we find attractive in a partner changes radically. And, and, and that changes as well with how much war like how, how much security there is in an environment changes radically how the types of men that women seek. And so, yeah, you can't control for all that because we all live in different communities and different societies where women have different needs and men have different needs and we seek different things from our partners. And so the, generally, basically, you should expect there to be no absolute rules with women. And I've learned that as a dating coach, Honestly, when it comes to attracting women, if you want to be great with women in general, you need to be great at reading and adapting. Reading women to, to find out what, what type of a person they actually are and adapting your strategy and behavior to match that type of uh, behavior. Now, I'm not suggesting that you change your personality. I'm just saying you change your dating strategies, right? To adapt to the kind of women that you, you're talking to because it's going to be different from one woman to another. You can never apply a, a, a one strategy fits all. And so, yes, any, any research that you see that suggests that there is a one strategy fits all, you should definitely take with a very, very big grain of salt. That's it. And thank you for watching today's podcast. As a high five for taking the time to learn today, you can head over to schoolofattraction.com forward slash personality test to complete our scientifically backed attraction personality test, which will help you uncover the areas you most need to work on based on your personality assessment. 
Take care and I look forward to bringing you my next podcast.